sweet friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Love Your Bod Pod. My name is Kara Corinne Safeli. For the last seven years, I have been a food and body image coach, a health coach. I've been helping people make peace with food and their bodies, build a better relationship with their themselves, their body, with food, all of the things. It's been a beautiful seven years. You maybe have heard in previous podcast episodes that I am in the process of retiring and moving on from this chapter of my life. It is very, very bittersweet, but as part of my sort of departure from this chapter, I'm releasing episodes and interviews with really incredible people as a way to sort of like bookend um, this, the last seven years. So today... We have an interview with Jamie Weisberg. She is a content creator based in Toronto. And I have been following her first on TikTok is where I first came across her. And then we connected on Instagram and we're in each other's DMs. She is somebody that I find uh, infectious and magnetic. She's funny, she's real, and she is so herself. And there's just something about that that is so appealing and you just want to be her friend she's funny she's silly she's real she's all about fashion and she started her um, social media two and a half years ago and it's really blown up to something that she could have never imagined it first started out as documenting her recovery journey and it slowly turned into her getting to share her life and her world living unapologetically as herself. And she describes herself as your favorite body positive bestie. And she is absolutely that. Today in the podcast, we talk about her her experience of seeking help and advocating to get treatment, the struggles that she faced, the internalized weight stigma and fat phobia, as well as the systemic and institutional fat phobia and weight stigma and how that contributed to her treatment, what it's like to be in a larger fat body seeking eating disorder treatment. We talk about fashion and clothes. She's somebody that is constantly sharing outfits of the day and what she would wear to different events. And um, all around, she's just a badass bitch and I love her. And I'm excited for you guys to hear our conversation today. Before we get into that, I want to remind you that you can still enroll in my two programs, Food Body Soul, the Academy, as well as Embodied Rebel Masterclass. Food Body Soul, the Academy is a all-inclusive program to support you in healing your relationship with food, your body, and yourself. It's the signature program that I created over the last seven years as a coach, and it's one of my proud, um, gosh, I'm just really proud of it, and I know that it's an incredible program and will absolutely make a difference for you if you're looking for some support. Um, While I am still releasing episodes, I will be there answering questions, responding to emails, things like that. And even after I close down the business, if you're in the course and you email me and you have questions, I will absolutely get back to you. I will not leave you hanging. And then Embodied Rebel Masterclass is a deep dive into body image and the social constructs that really contribute to how you relate to your body. If you're 
struggling with accepting yourself or feeling like you just need to fix yourself, if you're feeling really stuck and blocked, it's a really high probability that what Brandilyn and I, who I co-created the course with, what we share and teach in that course will be the missing link for you. That has been the feedback that I've received from countless clients that have gone through that course. So they're both linked below in the description. You can find them linked in my Instagram bio. And both of those courses will be gone and no longer available for enrollment on July 17th. So that is the last day to get those courses. So don't wait. If you've been thinking about it, now is the time. Okay, without further ado, let's get into today's awesome episode with the lovely Jamie. Hi, Jamie. Hi, how are you? I'm good. I'm excited to chat with you today. I feel like I've been following you online for quite some time. Oh my God. But like, I'm really excited too. Like, I can't wait to like, just like have a chat and get to know things about each other. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, um, you're, you live in Toronto, right? In Canada. I just went to Toronto. Well, Canada in general for the first time, uh, last December. How, how was it? How was your experience? You guys are nice. Like Canadians live up. Are you sure? (laughs) Did you meet everybody? (laughs) No, I didn't meet everybody, but the people I did meet, it seemed like y'all were like really, nice I spent some time in Toronto and went to Collingwood are you familiar with that I've never been to Collingwood Mm -hmm. I'm not a skier but like I hear it's very beautiful I have been there's another like ski kind of hill it's called Blue Mountain so I've been there like not in the winter I'm more of a chalet gal than a ski gal so like I don't have the like push to go but it's definitely like you know I'm always up for a good chalet (laughs) okay what is a chalet you know, like a cottage, a winter cottage, you know, like in those movies where they like sip hot chocolate and like, just like lounge, I, like, and like, I don't know, wear cute winter clothes like that I'm here for. <laughs> okay. You're like, you're like, I'm not, I'm not up for the skiing, but like, no, I want to get out by the fire and drink, co- and drink hot cocoa. Absolutely. I'm, I'm not a winter person. So like, that sounds great to me. Oh my God. And you live in Eastern Canada. How are you surviving life? I'm not (laughs) like, it's hard out here. I'm really not. You know what? You sound like me. Um, uh, the weather has sucked the last three months in LA and like, I'm a, I honestly, I'm going to stop you there. I do not feel bad for you. Like you, how does it feel to live my dream? Like, all right, but I'm going to let you finish, but Ah, <laughs> I I bet everybody online is like those fucking Los Angeles influencers <laughs> bitching about a little bit of rain and clouds. But I am like, no, for real, yo. Like it's been cloudy for like weeks, and I am depressed. I I'm depressed all year round. So like I'm here for it. But also like I was reading. I don't know if it is like there in LA. It was like one of the darkest winters we've ever had. So like happy first or second day of spring hopefully we're coming out of it because like I didn't sign up for this and like I'm ready to like bring some light into the day like the days are getting longer um get to be outside more um yeah so like hopefully this is like it for this gloominess we're having same same praying praying to the sun gods like exactly (laughs) yeah yeah 
So I love to start out every conversation with my guests on the on the Love Your Bond pod, really learning about the earliest context of your lives, because I find that they are so formative and they play a really massive role in shaping who we are and what our motivations are and what we become and what our value systems are. So what is the early context of you and your upbringing that I would need to understand to really understand who you are? And you don't have to share anything except what you're comfortable sharing. So I'm pretty comfortable sharing about what I know about who I am. But I think like starting on this social media journey was a way for me to figure it out. I never really knew who I was. It was kind of through the lens of other people of how I should be and how they wanted to be. And I think finally I just had enough and I was like, I'm going to be me. And if that's not good enough, then you don't deserve to be in my life in the first place. So growing up, um, I had really loving parents. I had a twin sister and an older sister too as well. Um, we were comfortable. Um, my mom was very creative. She always planned the best birthdays, like the best events. Like she just had that knack for creativity. And I'd like to think that she passed that down onto me. Maybe not in the drawing sense, but definitely in the creative sense. But it was a really tough upbringing like she always taught us that really laughter was the best medicine and to get us through really challenging times and I totally agreed with her because my family although it like may look that we like are okay on the outside because we try to make the best of things and we try to like see the glass half full I think that was really instilled in me growing up it was hard um I had a twin who was really ill growing up um, multiple times and probably in the hospital for multiple years, like all the way from four to 13. And that was just really hard on me being four to six, 13, whatever years old, wanting that attention. But it was then like, oh, we need to look for after your sister. Like we don't have time. Mm -hmm. So that really left me for a lot of years feeling alone. And I had my own struggles. You just couldn't see any of them. So I really internalized a lot of shame and guilt and embarrassment and really just neglect. And I don't blame my parents for it as much as like I'd like to. And I think that's really an easy way to go out. They did what they had to do to survive. And if, we were, let's say we could have a magic wand and do it all over again. I don't think they should change the way that they did things because we're only humans. Like two, we were programmed to do things away and everybody was programmed different. So through a lot of therapy, like I've obviously like had some trouble coming to the, to these terms, but it's like, it wasn't their fault. They did what they had to do, but it was really hard growing up in this household when all of us were sick with just, just our own needs. And I had an older sister. Um, she was adopted at birth and I never really saw her as being adopted. She was just kind of part of the family, but I'm not really going to go into her story because she were not in contact, but it was really hard. Both of us kind of fighting for the attention that my twin sister got because like she was deemed the sickest. And in my family that like, if you were deemed like sick enough, that's when you got the most attention, which is not really a normal way of thinking. Mm -hmm. And so that was really hard for me that like, I had to prove my worth by like 
not feeling well. And I was struggling with disordered eating at the time. And at the time I got diagnosed with binge eating disorder, but I know people like to qualify that as fat people's and eating disorder, which is so far from the truth because any people of any size can have binge eating disorder, vice versa, the other ones. And that was diagnosed at a really young age for me. Mm -hmm. Um, So the answer to my problems was weight loss. At six or seven, I don't remember exactly the age, I was put on ADHD medication. And yes, I did have ADHD, but it was sold to me and my parents as an appetite suppressant. So our like at a very young age, I was already being conditioned to not believe that I'm okay and I'm not enough the way that I am. And if I could just like do this, then everything would be okay. And I couldn't. So that made me internalize belief that I was a failure because I couldn't like successfully complete the idea of weight loss. And then at 13, uh, my sister got sick again. And then my older sister started acting up. But I'm going to bring this story to around me because I have this habit of like, my problems are not valid enough. I'm not sick enough. Like I haven't been through enough compared to other people. And so at 13, I had weight loss surgery and I was put on a starvation diet for about six months. And then I went to fat camp and this, we had come up with this plan as a team of doctors that I needed structure. So starvation after starvation, after starvation, basically I was applauded for having medically induced eating disorder symptoms. And that's where I developed my bulimia because it was almost excusable because I was fat and because of this surgery and the symptoms that you get when you eat too much or you eat more than you want is a symptom of bulimia. So for a lot of years, it was just an acceptable way to have these two eating disorders. And so when it didn't work. And when I ultimately failed, I did lose a hundred pounds at that time. And I was about 13, 14 years old, but I was never more unhappy. I was never more sick. I was never more hating myself because my worth and my value as a person or a child was conditioned on being smaller. And when I didn't achieve those goals, I wasn't worthy. Or so I thought, And that was like just a vicious cycle of going on diet after diet and feeling horrible about myself. And my parents just like put so much pressure on me because this is what we were taught as humans again to believe and they were just doing it out of love. But it doesn't mean it was a good thing. It means it was really harmful. Yet, I yes, I get that they loved me and they wanted the best for me but it actually ended up almost killing me. And that's really hard to say because I love my parents. They did what they could. They are really amazing and great people. But sometimes these things happen that are out of our control. And so I was put on diets. I was done. I did acupuncture. I had surgery. I went to camps. I did it all. And through those times, I had a glimmer of hope, but it was defeated. Like it was just this like, okay, I just needed to get out. Like me thinking growing up, like through those years, if I could just be locked away in a castle or somewhere for a year and take this weight off, people would like me better. I would have the approval of my parents. I would be successful. I would be happy. I would be with okay with myself. 
I thought of myself as this like beast and this creature that like needed to be locked away because she couldn't control herself because she was so like sick and it was like my fault and that is like not okay to think that way at such a young age and that lasted for quite a few years and it's I've seen therapists since I was six I've been on medication like it's not that there wasn't interventions but the interventions were designed for me to fail mm. and it's I'm still on this journey of like grieving and healing from all this damage that was done mm -hmm. even having therapists who are like you're not sick enough to go into ed treatment you'll go backwards these people are sicker than you you don't you don't look the same i'm not signing the papers for you to go in and so i was denied that and telling me that i would like only be happy if i was thin I would only be successful if I, I would only be in a relationship if I was thin and that was like drilled into my head through doctors relatives friends my family so what else was I supposed to believe and also I'm going to go back to the fact that I was a very confident child like I really have a big personality and that really got dimmed through what other people thought of me and I tried to hide and live vicariously through other people and it really just like dimmed my sparkle as cheesy as that sounds it was true like people used to call me shy and I'm not a shy person I'm social like I'm creative and I'm funny and I just allowed myself to like seek validation and seek acceptance through other people because I wanted it so bad and growing up in high school and when my friends would like go on all these, have these relationships and like have all these things like buy the clothes that they wanted. I had to sit on the sidelines going shopping with my mom and my sisters was a nightmare when all I wanted to do was be like everybody else. I remember going into a mall and wanting to buy something. Um, I'll use Aritzia, for example. And I had to sit there while my sister got to buy things that everybody else did. And I had to watch that. Like as a child, that is traumatic. Mm -hmm. And it's so painful to have to go through. And like, I know, I remember getting in these big fights with my mom and I would just settle because I just wanted to feel like everybody else. And I couldn't. But the worst part of it is I blamed myself that I couldn't be like everybody else. And I don't think I was born to be like everybody else. It, sh it just wasn't in my nature, <laughs> but I wanted it so badly. Like I craved it. I dreamt and I fantasized about how I could just like, not even be like different from everyone else. I wanted to be the same. I wanted to have equal things to everybody else and I didn't have it. And that made me miserable. So I'm kind of jumping all over the place. So I think like flat, fat, uh, fast forwarding to like university and all those things is when I really kind of got a taste of what ED recovery was like. I, before that I had signed up because I don't know, I had no answers. I had no hope, but I had some sort of like determination to feel better. It was in the wrong ways. So I had applied for weight loss surgery again. And I did it twice. And each time I got scared 
and I didn't go through with it. And thank God, because it would have been one of the biggest regrets if I did. Just like remembering, I'll never forget this. They have like a whole huge scale right in the waiting room. Like I've never felt like such an animal in my entire life. Mm -hmm. And then when I was like begging for help because they wouldn't give me the surgery um, because I didn't meet the guidelines. I'm like, what am I supposed to do? Like, I'm going to die on your doorsteps and you won't even help me because you want me to lose weight, but then you won't help me because I don't meet your guidelines. So they developed some sort of program for me because I advocated and I screamed and screamed until they heard me. It didn't end up working because it was still the idea and the mentality that I would only be a success story if I was smaller. So then fast forward after that, I, I ventured in and I met some people through a support group and mental health. And she directed me to apply for my first outpatient stay at, at an eating disorder treatments uh, in a hospital. Now they wouldn't take me for inpatient because I didn't look sick enough, but they did take me on a temporary basis of being an outpatient. And I remember them sitting me down like in the office and telling me that like, okay, well, we're going to test trial this, but like, basically you're bigger than the other patients. And like, if it doesn't work, like basically you're shit out of luck. So I was like, so determined and I wanted this so badly to like <clears throat> work that I was going to do whatever it takes. So I just kind of took it, but, and I finished the program. I was like in quotations, like a success story because I finished, I followed the rules but I still had this mentality that after I finished treatment, I was going to go on a diet and this was like a stepping stone and that I would only be recovered if I was smaller. Mm. And so that ultimately led to my demise and my like first detour or relapse in my recovery. And that really, really discouraged me because this was my idea. And when it didn't work, it's like the pressure just like I broke. And so I went back to the drawing board. I needed help and I didn't know what to do. So I went back to the drawing board and I knew I needed treatment again, but that was like really shame inducing and really just, I didn't want to go back because, oh, I failed again. Like, this is my fault. Like, what could I be doing wrong? So we reworked a plan. I begged my parents to send me into an inpatient facility but they're expensive and I didn't have insurance at the time, but I needed help and they finally kind of caved in. But my mom was sort of on board more than my dad. My dad let me go because he saw an episode of my 600 pound life, which that's problematic in itself, but I won't even go into that. Mm -hmm. So I go into like my eating disorder treatment. They don't take me again. They only take me for outpatient. So I had to seek outside support. So here I did two months at outpatient. And then I had to keep this a secret that I wanted more help to go into a private facility because they said that's too much treatment and I'll regress and I'll go backwards. So in order not to be kicked out, I had to hide this like that I was right after outpatient, I was going into inpatient at a private facility. So Literally the weekend after I finished treatment, I packed up everything and I went to treatment for two months. Now, this was the beginning of the pandemic and nobody knew what was going on. So I did really well at this treatment center. 
but there were obviously some setbacks like not even having a proper bed being the biggest one the the language the way the doctors and the nurses talked to me like they applauded me when I lost weight which is not okay like would you say this to someone in a thinner body so why are you telling me this because they want to give eating disorder symptoms to a fat person but they want and disguise it as medication so I stayed there for two months. I was supposed to be there for four months, but the pandemic hit and the recession hit. And basically in the middle of the night, my parents made the decision that I had to leave. So when the money dried up for this inpatient program, I stopped receiving help, which is really so problematic. So I paid all this money to be out on my own with no help after. So that also led to my demise. I had to go isolate for 14 days because I was in sort of a treatment center and the other tower had gotten affected. My family was very vulnerable. So I had to, here I am fresh out of eating disorder treatment, still having this idea that like, I'd only be recovered if I was smaller. And I think I keep bringing that up because it's such an important point that shifted in my brain that was able to like bring me here. So that ultimately led to my second relapse after this treatment facility. And I was just defeated. I didn't, I had no hope. I just had given up. I didn't care. I had just like lost this ability to have any hope and ambition and motivation to get better. I'm like, this is it. I don't care. But there was something inside me, like this little voice that kept telling me, like, just keep going. And so that's when I started my social media journey. And I knew for my entire life that this is something I wanted to do. I wanted to be in the movies. I wanted to be famous. I wanted to be a success story. But it was for because I was smaller. And I still had that dream. If I could just share my story and like resonate with people so people didn't have to feel so alone. So I didn't have to feel so alone. To these people that I watched that have helped me that I could do things that they were doing. Like I wanted it so badly. So I kind of went in head first and they gave me the courage to like get better and to like save my life. And I'll be like forever grateful for that. So I got into my third stay of inpatient program. They finally took me as I begged and I pleaded to like get into this program that I was sick enough to get into inpatient. Now this was like the middle of the pandemic. So they told me there were no, pretty much no groups. It was self-sufficient. Like I had to do everything on my own and that I was like, pretty much like you can come and you only get a short stay, which is like a problem in itself, but that's a different story. So my mentality has changed because I got really sick before I went in to the point where like I almost died and I didn't make it because doctors just sent me home because they blamed it on my weight when really I was had a huge infection and almost went septic. So my doctor even had to write a note, don't body shame her don't talk about her weight and they still didn't listen. So like, this is why I don't want to go back to doctors is because of things like that. 
And so I went back anyways. And my sister was also very sick at the time. And I remember just like sitting with my sister. I was like connected to an IV. I had to stay in the hospital for a few weeks and I took months of recovery. And it probably would have been shorter had they listened to me in the first place that I was actually very sick. So my mom was helping the both of us and we were both sitting there and like crying that I needed help. And I was crying because like my mom like was just so overworked and I'm like, I can't do this anymore. Like I can't stay this way. I don't care if I never get the approval of my family, of my friends, if I never become thin, if I stay the way that I am, like I have to do this for me. I have to get better. And so I really went against everybody in my life who are important to me too important to me is approval society the world the validation and I did it for me and I think that was really integral into my recovery process is just like recovery is not based on your body size it's not based on me being smaller and like even with the disappointment and the not approval from my family. Like I had to do it anyways. Mm. So I go back into inpatient. It was, I also had a friend at the time who also was in recovery for an eating disorder, but she had been like years in recovery and she was a really big support system. And she said something to me. She said, look at these people who are the beauty standard, who are thin and they're sitting there and they're crying over their food this is what I'm striving for. Why am I striving for this if they're unhappy too? Like I'm striving for something that is not even real. So I'm sitting there looking at them and I'm miserable too. And it's like, why am I striving to be more miserable? So I think that really changed my mentality and like not seeing treatment as this like fix that like, if I go to treatment and I finish it, then all my then it's just going to be okay after starting my journey before and having this like support of my community and like the people who really mattered and getting rid of the people that didn't, I think really was like the recipe for my success. And I think like not be afraid to like eat differently than the people there. Sometimes I had more food and like coming to terms that that is okay in my body. And I'm not all the time I'm okay with it, but like nourishing my body looks different for everybody. And so I got through this program and I was on a mission and I wanted these dreams of mine to help inspire people to become the success story. But now my ideas had changed. It wasn't based on my body size. It wasn't based on the contingency of looking smaller or getting approval from everyone. It was based in recovery. It was based in the idea that I get to be myself. And I'm saying recovery definitely has its ups and downs. It's not all sunshine and rainbows. It sucks like a lot of the time, like there's lots of hardships, but it was so worth it and so much more worth it than it was when I ever was sick. And if I have it in my power, I never want to go back. So I get to sit here and talk to you over two years into my recovery and just taking each day at a time. And I wouldn't be here today if I didn't go in and I didn't do it the way that like nobody else wanted to me or nobody believed in me. And that shouldn't have to happen. I shouldn't have to not be believed to like get this chance.
at recovery. But if I can help other people do the same and feel okay in themselves, and there is no idea as being sick enough that I think like my job is done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You have been through a lot and this has been a long journey and a lot of ups and downs. And I know the context of this podcast is about body image and diet culture and, and weight stigma and, and all of those things. And it also sounds like so much of your experience and all the hardships you went through was because of the weight standard and weight stigma and these expectations of women to, to be thin. It sounds like that's been in your life. You said at one point, I think the youngest age you mentioned was six, probably about that age too. Like my doc, like my mom told me this story that like, she brought me into the doctor and she was worried about my weight. And she's like, don't worry about her weight too much. Don't get it too obsessive. She'll become anorexic. So like, obviously my mom took the advice and like, then she, I felt like she kind of blamed herself for like, well, why didn't I intervene sooner? Mm. But it's like not even her fault because her mom was like, she was a Holocaust survivor. And the way that she um, dealt with food and body image was like in scarcity in like being a survivor. And my mom swore she'd never be like her mother, but didn't work. But anyway, she tried. And my dad just having those like issues with his body and his like disorder, like it's just like it was passed on. But I feel like I'm the first person to like break that cycle mm-hmm. in that generational trauma. And it's like not how people think it's supposed to be broken. So it's like it's really not getting the approval of anyone. And it's like, my mom has a brother who's like this world renowned doctor and like, I don't have the approval of him. So it's just like, sometimes I wonder like, am I doing the right thing? But yes, I know I am. That's when like, if I really sit down to it, like his advice did not work. All these world renowned class act doctors, class doctors gave me the advice and it didn't work like I went through jumping through hoops probably through rings of fire and it still didn't work and I've been going on this cycle for 15 years and I'm like all right I've had enough I don't like I need to stop I need to live my life and I have to if I have to spend the rest of my life being fat I gotta be okay with it and like my body is like the least interesting thing about me and it's like all right, sometimes I can tolerate my body and sometimes I can't, but I still deserve to enjoy life and have the things that I want, regardless of my body size. Yeah, I just want to reiterate that. Like you deserve to enjoy your life and have the things that you want, regardless of your body size. Like just highlighting that for people listening. You know, I think there's so many things that are really relatable in your story. And I'm curious, so you, I just, just for some clarification, so you did actually have weight loss surgery at 13, but then when you went back at university, you didn't move forward with that. I didn't. I went into like the first stage of it and then you go into like the interview and then you go to the info session where they pretty much scare the shit out of you to like shame and scare induce you into having the surgery well they scared me out of doing it twice I'm like I can't do this this is like literally control and obedience and like disordered eating all in one so like I did that about twice like because I was just looking for any answers and these answers were just like not sufficient enough for me to like heal and to recover Mm. and like 
this little part of me was just like, no, like I can't do this. And like to have to like have to face the disappointment of my parents, of my family, of like people around me kept me going in that cycle is because the major part of it is like, all I wanted was to be a love loved and feel enough and like, be okay with myself. And like, that was the way I was taught to do it. And when I stopped doing that, I risked the chance of like being loved differently, which is true, but it's not worth it for me to go the other way. Like I wouldn't be here if I did. Right. Well, and you gave it a good go. I mean, you certainly tried. (laughs) Like you gave it a go. You were put on diets when you were really young. You went to fat camp. You had weight. You, so you did have it at 13. I just wouldn't had it at 13. Weight surgery. I had the lap band surgery. Like me and this other girl, I remember we like started the program at the children's hospital. They made us come up with the name. Like all these doctors were just like being put on a team like we were the first ones to like have this surgery and we were in the hospital together and I remember getting an infection at that age too and I had to go back to the hospital and I was running a huge fever and I see all these kids like running and jumping around and I was like sitting in a wheelchair because like I couldn't walk and I was like really upset and they got seen before me like so this weight stigma and this like bias started at a really early age yeah. Yeah. It's a serious problem. Yeah, for sure. So I'm curious of your thoughts. I know that you're a Canadian and not American, but I'm assuming given the fact that you are online, you've heard about the, uh, new pediat American Academy of Pediatrics suggestions <laughs> as someone who basically is a part of that was a part of that age group. What are your thoughts on it now? I really like, it just breaks my heart. And I'm so angry because I was that kid. Mm -hmm. Like I was that kid being put on weight loss, drugs and surgeries and medication and camps and exercises. And it didn't work. And there's going to be so many lives lost and screwed up. And to have that for a child, it's not even an adult, which is a problem in itself, but a child, like I'm so broken about it. Like I, I don't know what to say. Like I have no words to Mm -hmm. like say other than that's one of the biggest mistakes. I mean, they've made a lot of mistakes, but this is probably the biggest mistake they've ever made. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how, but I really just hope that it doesn't go through or the guidelines get changed because we can't afford to lose anybody else. And, mm-hmm. and I don't even know. I like, I'm just rambling because I have no words and what to say. Like, I'm so distraught in this because like, I just see myself yeah. or I see like my kids or the next gen or if my, if I do have kids or the future generation suffering the way I did. And I'm like, I can't watch that. That's too hard. And imagine all these kids like just kind of crying for a way out and not feeling good enough. And this answer is like, well, you'll only be good enough unless you're smaller. Right. And that's just not the case. So I'm very distraught about it. I, I, it's really hard to like even talk about it because I've been there and the guidelines were different when I was younger, but like, I still got put through it. Um, and in Canada, the 
healthcare system isn't so great either. I mean, yeah, we have quote unquote free healthcare, but it's like, okay, well, we have waiting rooms. Like you have to wait in a waiting room for 12 plus hours and then they just send you out because you, A, like, a, you're fat or you have some marginalized identity and they don't take care of you anyways. Or B, like even the emergency rating room, there's not even like, sometimes there's not even chairs where I can sit. Mm-hmm. Like I have to stand to be able to receive help. Like that's inhuman. Like mm-hmm. I'm not a creature. I'm a human being. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Yeah. I, I, um, for the first time, I went to the hospital here in UCLA and I noticed that they actually had really big chairs compared. And then they had chairs that were more standard or typical type of chair. And I was really surprised to see those because I didn't realize that that, that like medical, any medical facilities were kind of like on board with the fact that we need bigger chairs and not ones without armrests and things like that. And I'm really sorry that you had to go through that. It's also just interesting to hear you talk about the healthcare system um, in Canada. Like, <laughs> yeah. look, like, yes, we might have, you know, free healthcare, but it's not like utopic experience. Not all like it's cracked up to be. There's a lot of like yeah. holes in the symptom and even like going into ED treatment. Like I had no place to sit. Like I had to advocate for me to get my own chair. Yeah. And it's like, okay, I'm already feeling like the most insecure and like challenging person in the room. But like, that's just like another way to like separate me mm-hmm. from the group when it's like, that's probably like a really triggering and like risky situation for like people with EDs and bigger bodies to like, A, like you already feel like you're not supposed to be there and it's like you get so many reminders Mm. that you have to advocate and fight through regardless and I shouldn't have to do that so it's like even the furniture like sitting in this room wasn't designed for me and then like we would have like sessions on top everybody would talk about they how they hated feeling fat and then there's one fat person in the room they're like oh well this is just a part of the treatment so your treatment is basically like to not protect fat people and to like dehuman I don't even know I'm getting scrambled like in my thoughts I think it's just like the treatment itself is just like not designed for fat people or people's identities and bodies and it's like that's most of the population it's like only 6% of people are medically underweight who have eating disorders. So why is it only designed for them? Like that's screwed up. So that was more of the lines that I was saying. Yeah. 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 What do you think allowed you to, you kept saying this voice inside, like this voice inside that kept saying, um, you know, to try again, to keep going. What do you think that is and what do you think allowed you to listen to it because I'm assuming so correct me if I'm wrong that while you did have this voice that was like keep going trust your gut you know do it your way um there was maybe also a voice that was like it's not worth it why try you've tried so hard already you know everybody says you need to be thin like what do you think had you listen to that voice? And what do you think that voice is? I think like the challenges that me and my family have faced 
growing up and even into my teens and adult years have really a just were really fucking shitty but it gave me the courage and the strength to keep going like allowed me to give up multiple maybe even 100 times but it's not the giving up part like allowing myself to give up and sit in my own sadness but then getting back up each time like just was a different learning experience Mm -hmm. and it wasn't I don't even think a little voice I think it was more of the fact that like I've been suffering my entire life Mm -hmm. and it was the determination to do whatever it takes to stop my suffering I don't want to suffer anymore I just wanted to have some peace and be content with where I'm at And so I don't like, I'm going to reword it and say, I don't really think it was a voice. I think it was like this drive to finally feel some peace. And I don't think I'm there quite yet, but I feel like I'm closer, like a little bit. And I'm not a person who knows how to wait. I'm very impatient. So this journey did not allow me to rush through it. When I cut corners is when I get set back. So the determination that I have to not suffer anymore, I think that's where it came from. And it's like, because I really did not have any worth going through this. I had zero self-esteem. I remember sitting in this office at like 18 with my therapist and she kept asking me to jot down things I like about myself. And I couldn't, I would not, think of one single thing that I could jot down that I liked about myself a that like I wanted her to agree with me and b I wanted her to do it for me because it was this idea that like people like I can believe that other people like me because I don't like myself so I think it wasn't necessarily the voice it was that I was tired of suffering and I just with every experience that I faced I was just like, this one is going to be it. And then when it wasn't, I still like kept going. And I just kind of went head first blind, like through it. Mm -hmm. And I already knew what it was like being in my eating disorder. And I hated it. I hated every single minute of it. But when I, what I didn't know, it was what recovery was like, like putting and throwing myself into recovery. Now I could always go back to my eating disorder. It's there loud and it's like it's not leaving me alone but I had to just throw myself into recovery because I felt like it was the only shot I had at that point Mm -hmm. and when I did I never wanted to go back so Mm -hmm. I think it's like the determination Mm -hmm. to like just end my suffering so that I can live this quality of life Mm -hmm. and I quality of life does not spend my life an entire lifetime of wishing and doing everything to my when I'm smaller I don't want to tell the next generation that my biggest accomplishment and my biggest achievement was that I changed sizes like that's not an achievement that sometimes it's an illness some you don't know where it's coming from and that's not what I want the focus of my life to be before. And I think it was also, I wanted so badly because I always knew I had this like humor 
to me. Like I've always been told that. And I wanted so like so badly for people to see my personality, Mm -hmm. like through my humor, because I knew I had that. I was always like told you have the best personality, but if only you'd be smaller, like you'd be a winner. So like, I think like the determination for people to like see through my shield or my body, I think also really helped me in that journey too, of like, I hope that one day somebody would just see me and see through Mm. all of this pain and suffering and see me for who I was. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's a desire to be seen for your authentic self. Exactly. Right. And it sounds like for, for, or in however many, however it occurred, it was also modeled to you to persevere and keep going that even though you guys had hardships growing up, your family kept going, you kept going. So it was modeled for you. And there was just this determination to, to heal. But as part of that determination, there has to also be the belief that you can be free from your suffering. And I, and something that I I think that like, sorry to like, I think I had that belief, but it was like, there was always a contingency plan. Like this is it. This was going to be like the ending to my suffering when it wasn't, it was just like, okay, well now I'm back where I started. So it was always like, yeah, like I thought this next thing was going to just magically fix my suffering, but there's no magical fix. Like, I think I'm going to suffer the rest of my life but it's like with time it comes easier to manage and I learn to live a quality of life outside of it so Mm -hmm. I think like it's like stop having the expectation of like how I suffer it's just like that it's easier to manage and like that I can still live a quality of life Mm -hmm. okay yeah I mean that makes sense to me you know one of the things that is taught sort of in like trauma recovery is, is increasing your window of tolerance for discomfort. Um, and that's kind of, that's kind of what it sounds like you're describing to some degree is that it's not like life is utopic and there aren't hardships. It's just that you've developed a new mindset or a new perspective or different tools and strategies and exercises so that you're more equipped to cope with the difficulties that come with life without you sort of going back to your disordered behaviors to deal with them. You're dealing with them differently, more effectively, more powerfully, more loving, kind ways. Is that yeah, and it also sucks. That sounds about right when it's like, ignorance is like sometimes bliss where it's like, man, like I wish I still believed that there was this magic wand that could just like fix everything and it would be poof, I'm recovered and I don't suffer anymore. So like on the other hand, it's like, man, when you like open your eyes and like you get a taste of it, it's like shit, like there is no magic fix to this, but I can say that it's still worth it. Like despite all the hardships and the challenges, I wouldn't go back. Yeah. I think that's really important to hear for people listening to hear that. Like, it's not that like recovery means you don't have hard shit. It's just, it's a different version of hard and it's a hard that I prefer that you prefer. Yeah. 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 So Um, you talked about having this big personality as a child, you were this confident child. And then all of this, 
all of the things that you experienced um, with your upbringing, with your family dynamic, but then I'm assuming also because of all of the pressure to lose weight, you said dimmed your sparkle. So I'm curious, what helped you sparkle again? What helped you bring it back for people who can relate to that or who feel like they're not being their true self or they're afraid to be authentic? What advice do you have? What was that process like for you to allow your personality to shine? I think like I've always had the personality as kind of in my back pocket of like, mm-hmm. okay, well, at least you have your personality, like regardless of all the other shit you have. Like, so I think I really carried that kind of through, but it's like, I've come to realize that like, again, like my body is the least interesting thing about me. And it's like, I don't want to live my life vicariously through other people. Like I deserve to have a seat at the table mm-hmm. and it's like, okay, yeah, I can feel bad about myself, but I'm still worthy and valid either way. And I was just tired of like taking the crumbs or like feeling like I'm second choice or like feeling that I'll never get picked. That it's just like, I deserve happiness. And like, I don't always believe that. And I don't always see how far I've come, but like, I deserve to be who I am. And I think having this social media platform and having me be my authentic self there, I think really helped me be able to come to terms and I'm still coming to terms with my authentic self, but it allowed me to have the motivation to have a huge amount of people behind me and not knowing what it would blow up to like love me and be okay with me exactly as I am. Mm. And so I needed to see that I needed evidence that like, I'm okay the way that I am regardless of what other people say. And I think really diversifying my feed, getting to chat with other people who have been in these situations and what they've done to help them live their authentic selves. And I think if I have to not, like if I have to live unauthentically, I don't know, like I don't feel like it's worth it. I feel like if people can't accept me the way that I am, they don't deserve to be in my life in the first place. Mm -hmm. And that really feels kind of foreign for me to say, because it's just like, I don't want to settle anymore. Mm-hmm. Regardless if I don't feel I deserve it or not, I still don't want it. And I hope there was a lot of hope and believing that like one day I might feel that I don't deserve to settle. And I think it's a lot of, don't get me wrong. There were like, not the best motives for wanting to do it too. Like comparing myself to others. Well, if they can do it, then I can too. Or like, okay, I want to be better than her. Or I want to prove that like, she did me wrong or they bullied me or whatever. And if like, I can prove that I'm like more successful than like, I'll be happier, which is not really the case. Cause I feel like comparison really just keeps you miserable. So my motives, like sometimes were not always the best, but really like, I really felt that like, I can't live any other way, mm. just increasing my suffering. And I don't want to do that anymore. So if people can't see that real me, tough shit, 
like this is like who I am and what I have. Mm. And if that's not enough for you or you don't like it, that's not my problem. Yeah. Yeah. That is like, yes, I want people to like me. And yes, like for so many years, I put other people's opinions over my own. And I think it's totally valid to like want and like, want like I feel like it's valid to want other people's opinions you want people to like you like it's totally valid to be wanted and liked and feel enough but not at the cost of myself and I think like taking that leap of faith Mm -hmm. of like all right I'm gonna do this and if like people don't like me the way that I am I can't really do anything about it I can't live my life not as me because other people don't want me to. Mm-hmm. That's their problem, not mine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It sounds like you kind of hit a breaking point, like where it was like, no more. Like no I don't more. literally, I'm done. I'm done suffering. Like I've given it my all in all the wrong ways and it didn't work. So like, I'm gonna do it the opposite way and I'm going to do it how I need to do it. And if it doesn't work, like I just went in head first kind of blindfolded and it did work. Obviously like there's still days where like, I don't like myself or Mm -hmm. I have Mm -hmm. bad body image days or like I'm insecure with myself, but despite all those things, like I still get to be me. I still Mm -hmm. get to live exactly how I'm supposed to. And sometimes it's supposed to feel like shit, which (laughs) sucks. But other times it's like, yeah, like I get to live unapologetically myself and a lot of people can't say that and it's like there's so much value that's based on one's body size and when I separated that it was really a game changer for me like the unlearning and the way that we were socially conditioned to think this way I don't want to be a robot I don't want to look and act like a robot and that's what being the same as everybody else is And when I was able to like unlearn this fat phobia and diversify my network network of people of who I follow and interacted with, it's like, you feel better about yourself because like people come in all shapes and sizes and identities. And if we don't help the most marginalized person like that we're starting this, like, what are we doing? Like everybody deserves to feel authentic and okay with themselves, no matter what they look like or who they are. And I think- really taking the time and I still have a lot of research to go of like unlearning this fat phobia and unlearning all this internalized bullshit that we were made to believe really is a confidence booster Mm -hmm. because it allows me to like rebel against this beauty standard that there is no standard like I get to be me Mm -hmm. that's it end of story Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, there I'm I'm curious of like you had said, you know, you'll still have days where maybe you're feeling insecure or you doubt yourself. How do you navigate those days? And I think it's important to highlight that like even in recovery and although you've come so far and you're in such a better place and you have this incredible platform and you're living unapologetically, like we still are human and we still have difficult days. So how do you navigate those difficult days? How do you keep moving forward? Well, sometimes I don't navigate them and I just like sit in my shit for a few days and like allow myself to kind of grieve and be like, hey, I'm not doing like I'm done. I'm broken. And like, 
I've bottled up all this and I've exploded and that's what it's going to be. But I get up after. But I think like one of the key things that I kind of just thought about now is just like, I don't have to go on another diet. I don't have to go on this idea that I have to be smaller in order to be secure, secure with myself. There are other strategies to like make me feel better about myself. And it's kind of freeing to think like that. Mm -hmm. So like having like resources and tools outside of like manipulating and changing my body size and body image is like, there's a way out. And knowing that like, this feeling can't stay forever, even though like it does feel like that in the moment. Like there's tools that I have that I don't always use because I'm not perfect, even though I'd like to think that I am. Of <laughs> like, yeah, like there's a way out of like not changing my body size, which like you can't even do in the short term. Like mm -hmm. if I'm having a really stressful day, oh, just like change your body size and you'll be happy. That's not going to work in 24 hours. Like, I don't know what you want from me, but that's not going to work. So I think really just honing in on the fact that like allowing myself to meet myself where I'm at. Mm -hmm. I've also done a shit ton of therapy, like since I was six and some better than others. And I really do have a great support team right now. And I think it's a very, I have a big privilege right now to be able to have that. Um, and that's really an access issue too. But like, I really feel that it's just like, my insecurities are not based and not my fault it's these patterns and then these internalized beliefs that I've led, I was led to believe. Yeah. And I think knowing that there's like the way out and talking about reducing my suffering, what is going to help me in this moment to like reduce my suffering? Mm. Is it like being mean to myself? No. Is it like journaling or like listening to music or like talking to a friend? It's not going to be the same feeling. It's never going to be the same feeling as like what those comforts that are not good for you are. But in the long term, it is because I feel better. And it's like, yeah, not having to like, I feel like it's a freedom of like not having to like use this resource of only becoming smaller as a way to help myself was a really big step for me too, as well. Like there's another way out to this. Yeah. Yeah. Like being thin isn't the solution to all our problems. No, no. And you talked like, about common sense, but like <laughs> it wasn't to me for so many years. Well, and I know the, I know so many of the women that listen to this podcast, cause we talk in the DMS or an email or whatever, like we're, we're here because we've been told, oh no, being thin and having the perfect body will solve all your problems. And you talked about being in treatment, seeing all of these people who were, who were thin, who supposedly like had the thing that was supposed to solve all their problems. Exactly. They had the magic key, but like they were still weren't happy. So what is this bullshit that I'm been, I've been fed? Like they're not happy. So like, why am I doing this to myself? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, we were sold this illusion that like thinness is going to protect us and save us from things. But you learn, you saw firsthand from the women in this treatment center that like, well, that's a crock of shit. And like, as somebody who's been thin my whole life, pretty much, um, also like doesn't save you from pain did not save me from having an eating disorder. Like I loved what you said that like, 
you were finding other solutions, finding other ways. Like there are other ways to support you through the difficult time. And you also talked about uh, like using these like short-term coping mechanisms that like aren't good for you, like our disordered behaviors or turning to these other tools of calling a friend, journaling, listening to me. And it doesn't wait, but it doesn't feel the same. It doesn't feel as good as like literally like these coping. I'm not even going to go into details with that. I'm going to be honest. And it's like, it doesn't feel the same, like the same as that short-term gratification, but the long-term I had to come to terms with like, all right, I'm in it for the long game. I had to like, I think going into recovery is like giving yourself the chance to like be in it for the long game. And it's like, I'm a person who's very impulsive and I really struggle with impulsivity as having ADHD, but it's just like, I can't do that. I can't be in it for the short term anymore. It's not worth it. So like hanging on by a thread sometimes and just like keeping going in this long-term game has really paid off. I would a hundred percent like vote and like just stick it out for the long term. Like I know it's like this, it feels like you're insane because it's like this like cycle where like, oh my God, it feels so good. But then I feel like a piece of shit after and I like can't believe I'm never going to do this again. And then you go do it again. But it's just like, I don't want to be in a cycle. Like, I don't want to be a hamster going on a wheel. Like I want it to be, I want to be feel free and content with wherever I'm at. So like, yeah, I think like it does feel good. I'm not even going to lie, but really is that worth it? Is that feeling of that one minute or even like 10 minutes or one hour worth all the suffering that comes before and after? And the answer is no. No, no, I'm right there with yeah. you. It's it's like kind of like, you know, if we were to zoom out and take it out of eating sort of recovery and just put it in like the perspective of like an alcoholic, for example, and they're having a really stressful day and they really want to drink and they know in the short term that drink is going to help, but in the long term, they know it could lead to disaster. It's like choose the long term and it's not-, not an easy choice, though, too. I think it's like. It's like the experiment of like, all right, at least try to like put off that drink. Like if you want it later, go for it. But it's like, you already know what that drink is going to do. It's like, I'm really scared of the unknown. Me as a person like does not like the unknown. And sometimes at least for this journey, I had to face the unknown and I can Mm -hmm. say that it paid off. But it's just like, it's not an easy choice to make. And it's not not just like you have to make that choice once. It is over and over and over again for the rest of your life. Right, right. Yes, yeah. It's a it's an in-the-moment recovery over thinness, recovery over thinness, like moment yeah. to moment for sure. Yeah. And you also said something at the very beginning of when I asked you, like, what do you do on the hard days? You say, sometimes you let yourself just sit in the suck. And you like, you just grieve and you kind of like sit in your shit for a couple of days. And I also think that like, that is sometimes what we need to do. Like we need I'm to- I'm not even going to take credit for that. Like my mom is definitely something, some, someone who taught me that is just like, all right, you can like stay sad and give up and like do all these things that like keep you stuck. But it's yeah. just like, then what? What are you going to do after? And at first I get really angry in her. I'm like, I'm never getting out of this funk. I'm not doing this. I'm staying here. But then like after like a day or even an hour, 
I get out of it and I get back up. Yeah. Yeah. I personally relate to that a lot, by the way. Like, uh, sometimes I need to just have a pity party and I need to feel like the victim and I need to feel like everything sucks (laughs) because like you can get it out of your system kind of it's like you know we it's cliche and it's obvious because it's true it's like the only way out is through and sometimes giving yourself that spaciousness to just like sit in the suck is what I'm the words I'm using uh you need to do that so that you can be like all right I'm tired of I'm tired of sitting in the suck. I want yeah, to- like I'm tired of playing poor me. Like, yeah. all right, let's get my shit together and like keep going. But it's just like, yeah, like shit sucks t- sometimes. And sometimes like this sitting in my self-pity is like longer than others. But yeah, it's not forever because like you deserve to get back up. Yeah. And I guess like I've gotten back up because I'm here right now. Right. Same, same. And I, and you know, there are times when I, I need to give myself that permission to sit in the suck in order for me to then like get back up and move forward. Like if I didn't give myself the opportunity to sit in the suck and just, you know, force myself to fake it till you make it, I probably would have had a bigger car crash down the line at some point, you know? So I mean, it probably did, but then like you get back up, you go get your car fixed. Like you get an oil change. Like it's just like, I don't know, like we don't deserve to suffer. Like, and it's, if that's going to make it feel like it is like, I don't want to become this bitter person who like, I'm, I'm a very optimistic person. So it's just like, I don't know my mom, like I'm going to give this antidote. She showed me this movie when I was really in a, like, really hard and rough state in my life and she showed me this movie it's called Pollyanna it's like an old Disney movie and this girl was like the most happy really annoyingly happy perky girl like throughout the entire movie and I'm gonna ruin the movie but it's an old movie so if you haven't seen it like sorry I ruined it but at the end of the movie she has a tragic accident and breaks both her legs but like she's still happy after like she lives her life regardless of the situation she's in and it's just like all right like I need some like Pollyanna like Mm. in my life like yeah she broke both her legs but it's just like it's not even a success story it's just like all right tough shit this is what I got I gotta live with it that's it end of story I wonder if that's where the phrase Pollyanna came from it is it is from that (laughs) I've never I did not know there was a Disney movie about it it's an old one like my my it used to be my mom's favorite movie and at the time I was like why the hell did she show me this movie but it's just like I get it it's like keep going like this is what I have I'm not getting another card to be dealt yeah 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 that's that's very valid like you're dealt the cards that you're dealt doesn't mean you can't persevere and grow and change and shift right like your story is evidence of that uh, my story too. Um, but like, you know, you're dealt the cards you're dealt. So how do you make the best of it? How can you make the best of the hand that you have, you know, which I think is sign of the Pollyanna perspective or what you're getting at here is like, this might be tough shit, but I'm going to try to make the best of it and do what I can to reduce my suffering and et cetera, et cetera. 
hundred percent. And part of me still has that like magical thinking because I am delusional at some point. <laughs> like I think like I wouldn't be here if I wasn't some sort of delusional, but I think it's okay to be delusional. Like we like to say me and my mom, we have Peter Pan syndrome. Like we never want to grow up, but it's like, I do have these dreams and these success stories of like where I want to be. And I hope to get there, but if I don't get there, like this is what I got and I'm going to keep going through. But I think like, it's okay to have this like fantasy and these magical thinking, like not to the point of suffering, but like be delusional because like sometimes it gets you to where you never thought you'd be. It's just like, don't suffer so much in the process. Mm, yeah. Well, when you say like, you know, uh, you had said earlier that ignorance is bliss and like, I do agree with you to a large, sometimes, sometimes <laughs> it really is. Um, and when you talk about like being delusional to some degree, I, what I hear you saying is like, don't give up your daydream. If your daydream is keeping you in action and keeping you persevering and keeping you going after the things that you want, like there is an argument to be made where indulging in the delusion of the daydream is actually what you need so that you can have a, a life that you enjoy and that keeps you moving forward and that you're getting out of bed working towards something. So I think to some degree there, there's an argument for where that is the next, where that is a good thing. Do I think there's an argument where it's not, it's a not helpful thing? Of course, but I see your perspective. My, yeah. My therapist says that, sorry, I cut you off, but like, yeah, like I think sometimes magical thinking does get me in trouble because it's like okay this big expectation it doesn't turn out that way well then what but like I don't know I wouldn't have gotten this far if I wasn't a little bit delusional and I think I still have so much further to go and I think I need a little magic in my life because sometimes I just want to like not have like I want to be ignorant not even ignorant just like I I just want to close my eyes I've seen enough <laughs> Oh, I, I hear you. I get it. I get it. Um, so I want to paint a little picture here and I want to get your, your advice on what you do, what has helped you or what you would say to somebody in a similar position. So let's say that you're somebody, there's somebody working on healing their relationship with food and their body. They're working on eating more and they go into their closet to get dressed. And they put on clothes that they want to wear that used to fit that are now too tight and don't fit. And they're triggered. They're panicking. They're stressed. They feel shame. They're uncomfortable. What advice would you say to somebody in this moment who's on this recovery journey? What would you, what would you do? What would you say to yourself if that's easier? Well, I've definitely been there and it's just like, when I was stuck in my eating disorder, I had these clothes, like even my mom was like, I'm gonna hang up a pair of your old pants from when you were like, when before you lost all this weight. And it's just like, that was the achievement. And it's like, mm -hmm. I deserve it's all about like, deserving to wear clothes that fit. And if it doesn't serve me, like, I don't know. I think also the fact that like buying new clothes is a really big privilege and people, a lot of people don't have access to that. But I think if you can do it, like you deserve to have clothes that fit. It's not your body's fault. 
of why your clothes don't fit even that's even though that's what we're made to believe I think like the fact of like you don't deserve to suffer more than you already are mm -hmm. I think that if I can reduce my suffering in terms of like where I am my life in my life to live a more quality of life and if buying a new t-shirt or a pair of pants is gonna do that then I'm gonna do that and I think I have to think that's that's a privilege too but it's just like I don't know like the idea of giving value to clothes is weird mm -hmm. like if it doesn't fit me like why am I putting so much value in an inanimate object like that's a little bit weird so it's just like yeah I still struggle with the fact that like if I change sizes like I don't want that to be the reason that it makes or breaks my day like I have so much value outside of that and focusing that on that rather than the number on a scale or whether my clothes are too tight is so much more important to me it's like really allowing myself to see where my values lie and if do my values lie in feeling really upset about my clothes don't fitting yeah it sucks like especially like when this is what we were taught but am I going to allow it to continue to keep me suffering and not live my life because of it? No. So I think there's really a fine line in like allowing yourself to be sad about this because it sucks. Like it hurts. But like the less value that I take out of it, like whether my clothing fits good or bad, the better I feel about myself. Mm -hmm. And it's like, all right, my clothes don't fit. Then what am I going to do? Like, playing the tape forward. Am I going to remember this in a week? Maybe. Am I going to remember this in two weeks? I hope not. Am I going to remember this a month from now? Probably not. Like, so just like kind of be in it for the long game and like remembering where my values lie. And it's not a number in a clothing size mm -hmm. and allowing myself to kind of grieve this symptom of my eating disorder, because it is like, struggling with body image is so valid and allowing myself to feel that space for like my sadness makes it a bit easier knowing that it will pass. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love everything you said. And I, and I really want to highlight the last thing you had said, you know, it's a symptom of your eating disorder to be really upset that old clothes don't fit or to feel like you're a piece of shit or, you know, like unworthy or to feel all cringy or, you know, for example, if clothes don't fit, like really getting that, like that's a symptom of the eating disorder and you can grieve that and be sad about it so that you can process through it and then move forward. But you also had some like really like strong mindsets of like, I'm not going to give value to this inanimate object like that's not what like it's a piece it's a t-shirt like why am I like getting so upset about something that doesn't even talk back to me like that's a weird thing to do I feel it like talk back, it isn't gonna say oh haha ha, you don't I don't fit you like no it's literally a piece of fabric and if I'm like putting value in that it's just like I don't know it's not worth it yeah I I I get it you know like I I feel like you have such a strong mindset and perspective around it. You know, I'm, I'm assuming it wasn't always this way. It's no. still not. I think like I do struggle with that a lot, but it's just like 
again, the way we were socially conditioned to think this way Got it. and unlearning all this internalized bullshit. Yeah. And I've stopped dressing for my body type. I've stopped dressing for like, okay, I'm going to wear this because like it's in fashion or it's on trend or like other people are wearing it. No, I'm going to wear it because I like it. And I like wearing things where I don't have my body seen. This is just something that I've, I, that's my sense of fashion. It's very like flowy. It's just feeling comfortable. So it's just like, I'm, I, there's more options where I am able to do that. And I'm able to like show my style through fashion more because of the more options that are available. And it's like, I stopped dressing my body based on like what other people wanted. And yeah, I still look at trends and I'm like, Ooh, I like that. But it's just like, I wear one, what I want to wear regardless of how I think my body will look, but I still kind of put my body into the equation. It's just not the first priority. My style and my comfort is the first priority. And if that's met, like my body is like, way down on the list because I'd be lying and saying that like my body's not a factor especially like there's assholes in the world that I know are going to like have something to say but they're gonna say it anyways but I think like moving where my body is on that totem pole of how like clothes make me feel helps me feel better and like want to continue to dress myself the way I want to do mm-hmm. it's like my body is not the priority in how I style myself it is secondary it's there because it's a part of me but it's not the priority mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah well you are a fashion queen online like <laughs> is your thing you uh talk about what you're gonna wear to different activities and dates and experiences where do you shop so I get this question a lot. Um, I dig and I hunt and I search because it's like all this repressed like anger, not even anger, this repressed like style that I've had for so many years that I wasn't allowed to use because there was nothing available growing up in my size. So now that I like get to let it show, it's like I'm in survival mode. Like I need to have everything. I need to like wear all my dreams that I had as a child and it's just like I don't know I feel like I get to show my creativity yeah you do through fashion like there's so many ways of like showing art and it's like my mom really is good at like drawing and like music and that's not me the way I do it is through videos and showing my style and makeup and it's like that's okay that's where I get to show my creativity and yeah I think like that's where I get a lot of my inspiration from is like through my own creativity. And I think like I mostly shop at just Torrid. I think that was really somewhere I shopped growing up. It has really evolved since I shopped there at like 12 and 13. I think it really, it's still hard to look, but I really have found some pieces that I've like fallen in love with. There's just more accessibility to be able to choose. I think Sheen too is like, mm-hmm. yeah, it might not be the best quality, but I think it allows me to feel good and to feel I have style and to feel like I get to dress how I want to dress. So that's definitely somewhere I shop. 
I've sometimes had to outsource. There's a really cool fashion brand in the UK. It's called Yours Clothing, which I really like. Um, I you might have seen my princess dresses. They've actually sent me some, which I'm so grateful for because that's like been a dream of mine to have those dresses. Like even when I was 13 and I had a bat mitzvah, like I had I didn't have a dress that I wanted because there was nothing available. So getting to like live my dreams through those is just like amazing like I'm living my life how I'm supposed to be through fashion and my personality so like I'm living this quality of life and I know that wasn't the question you asked I got a bit sidetracked but like it's just like I'm grateful that to have these opportunities so definitely Jessica K and Ivy City and Co um just and like random other places too I, I can't really think at the top of my head but the main ones are probably Torrid and Sheen and those other ones and yours too is definitely like where I've bought in a lot of my clothes it's also hard because like it's expensive ethical fashion is expensive and I don't have the money for right that right now so it's like yeah what are my options a lot less like than if I were to have the money for clothes so yeah this is like I guess where my choices are right now I hope that it evolves there are some places that are in like my back pocket like Eloquy and loud bodies and like all these things that like I have in my back pocket for when I can mm -hmm. diversify my budget of like wanting to shop there. But yeah, I think for now, this is like just my go-to like finds right now. Yeah, no, it's, it's great. I mean, I hear you. I get this, I get the struggle too with, uh, ethical fashion and body positive fashion and size inclusive fashion. You know, one of my really good friends is a she calls herself midsize. Uh, she's a fashion YouTuber and, and she talks a lot about fashion and how like, it's hard to be able to afford to shop with at places that maybe align with your value for, uh, you know, more ethical fashion, environmental stuff, et cetera, et cetera. So I get it. It's a predicament that most, that I think most humans face. And it's like, if the, like, give me an affordable, ethical, fashionable size inclusive shop I'll buy from it I'm very open to it but until then this is what I have to deal with yeah not giving me much to work with yeah 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 no I I totally I totally get you yeah okay so one last advice question and then we'll kind of wrap up we've been chatting for over an hour and a half or something um so Somebody who is in recovery, they're recovering from an eating disorder, their body has changed, they've gained weight, and they are really struggling with self-hate, feelings of unworthiness. They have this sense of cringe when they see their new body. They're really struggling to feel comfortable, to feel confident. What advice would you have for them? How would you deal with this? Or how have you dealt with it in the past? If you have, um, what would you say to this person? I've been there like it was me I definitely still have those days where I don't feel confident or insecure but I, what I will say this like from my own experience confidence is overrated like okay I'm not confident and what then what like did the world change did I melt did I like did like a volcano erupt no even though it might feel like that like being confident is not the end of the world like it's not everything that I need to be in order to be happy and like when I took that pressure off myself in order to become confident, when I could be okay with not being confident in myself and I could meet myself where I was at, 
it helped me feel better. And I think confidence and insecurities really look different on everybody. So it's just like, yeah, confidence is definitely for me, really overrated. Mm -hmm. It's allowing yourself to be in a moment, however you are. And if I'm confident, great. Like if you feel that I feel good about myself, grand, but it's just, it's not really about that. It's about meeting myself where I'm at. And if I feel like shit, then that's, if it comes off like that, great. If it doesn't, I don't know what to tell you. Like it's, it's really allowing myself to be where I'm at this like radical acceptance. All right. This is how I'm going to be whatever value it is for that moment is how it's going to be. And sometimes it sucks. And sometimes it's better than like, it should like better than like some days, but this is how it is. And I think like taking away my value and the confidence and insecurities away from my body size and separating those two like I can be confident or I can have value or I can be secure with myself no matter what my body looks like was really like definitely a key factor that has helped me in my process to like feeling better about myself and I feel like it's so hard to admit that like I do I am confident because it's like it's like almost like the rug is gonna pull right from under me like something's like the shoe's gonna drop people are gonna see me as a facade but it's just like no like whatever you used to describe me or how I come off like if you think I come confident off as confident great but it's just me like I'm allowing myself to be myself so I wouldn't even describe it as confidence or feeling insecure or whatever it's just this is the way that I am this is how I'm feeling and I'm gonna make the best or deal do what I need to do to until it passes mm. so really what I heard is that if you're struggling and you're having a really hard time it's instead of resisting reality and thinking that you shouldn't that you shouldn't be insecure that you should be confident that actually brought you peace and allowed you to feel better of just like okay i'm having a difficult time and i'm not feeling that confident and like that's okay i'm just going to be with this this too shall pass and not resist it not fight it not judge it not think that it shouldn't be that way that's really what i heard does that mm-hmm. sound- i mean when you say it it sounds so much more like it sounds so much more professional, but yeah, for the most part, like this is how it is. Like I can't, like, I can't change, like you can change your feelings to a certain degree, but it's just like, sometimes there, it's not a good change or sometimes it's just, this is what it is. Yeah. You this said is what it, it is professionally than I did, but it's like, <laughs> do I even believe that in myself? Like, wait, like, I don't do that, but it's like, I do do that. Like, it's just almost like my thoughts don't coincide with my actions. Sometimes it's like, all right, I can think all these things, but do I actually do it? I don't know. But yeah, for the most part, it's not really about confident or this or that. That's like really black and white thinking for me. And that's not how I want to live my life. It's like, all right, this is where I'm at. All right. What do we got to work with for today? Yeah. I actually really like that. Of just like, okay, this is where I'm at today. It might not be the best day. What what do I need? How can I take care of myself? And can I not just think that it shouldn't be this way or resentant or hate it? Like, this is, this is what I got today. What do I need? Like, I actually think that like, that's uh really sound advice and like a sound perspective of just like being where you are and accepting it. And I don't, and like, I appreciate you thinking that it sounded more professional. I felt like I just, <laughs> I just, 
her, I just, that's just what I heard you say. So well, then I sound professional too, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Check. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Okay. So where can everybody find you if they want to connect? Um, where do you exist online? exist all right so I'm pretty much everywhere the most platforms I focus on is TikTok and Instagram you can send me an email I have a cameo I have like a DM that sometimes I get overwhelmed with but I do my best to try to respond I always go live so it's really just a really good way to interact with my community I love going live it's like FaceTime with your besties like it's really just a chance for me to connect so that probably the easiest way I can't even tell you I have a schedule I'm not organized I'm pretty unhinged but if you see me going live like jump in have a conversation I'm totally happy to but yeah like my dms like if you do want really want to talk to me cameo or send me an email but um yeah it's really just like or even try to leave a comment I sometimes like need to set a boundary where I don't even look at my comments so that's probably not the best idea but yeah come in my live interact with me uh send me an email dms I think is like the best place but I'm on uh tiktok youtube facebook and uh instagram facebook and youtube I don't look at the comments so I would not suggest finding me there because people are nuts over there. Um, but yeah, pretty much like come into my life, say hi, like leave a message. Like, uh, hopefully I'll be able to answer. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you are unhinged and absolutely <laughs> delusional and delusional, <laughs> magical, all, all that, all the good adjectives. I love it. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. Anytime. This was great. Okay. Thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode with Jamie. I hope you absolutely loved it. If you did, please shoot me a DM on Instagram, share it in your Instagram stories, share it with a friend or a family member who you think would benefit. And we will see you guys next week with another episode.